Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Bethel McGrew, on the hope and new identity India's untouchables find in Christ. It, it you know, gave him the proper mentality, like, okay, I am a sinner. Uh, you know, it's not like I'm perfect. I do, I do need to repent before God for the sins that I've committed. Mm-hmm. But then once I've repented, then I am, I am a beloved child of the King. I, I have um, status and standing. I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Um, and I don't need to feel that I'm worthless anymore. Bethel McGrew, next. Today, a redemptive story of how Jesus gives hope and transforms lives. A portion of India's citizens are known as Dalits, and they're at the bottom rung of Hinduism's ancient caste system. Called untouchables, the gospel is reaching them. With us today is Bethel McGrew to tell us some of this inspiring story and of her conversation with a number of Dalit school children. She writes widely for many publications and sites, and today we talk with her about her world cover story, Lifting Up the Lowly. Bethel, how did these people, the Dalits or Untouchables of India, become of such interest to you? Sure. Um, So my friend Jehu, who kind of, his story is sort of the focal point of uh, this article that I wrote. He's uh, been a friend of my father's for many, many years. My my father has... um, kind of a teaching ministry, apologetics ministry, and uh, became good friends with Jehu going on like 15 years ago now, and has kind of watched uh, Jehu grow up in the Lord and uh, develop a heart for ministering to his people in India. So my dad has supported his ministry for a really long time. And then it was kind of in the past year that, um, that I myself got to know Jehu a little better, got to know about his ministry. Um, and really learned about the work that he was doing. So, uh, you know, I kind of began thinking, well, now that I've uh, developed sort of a platform as a writer, why don't I try and put his story into article form um, and kind of bring it to wider attention because it's, it's, not, uh, it's not much talked about in Western Christian circles, and I thought it was a story worth telling. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, first of all, uh, the Dalits, also known as Untouchables, what can you tell us about them? And I understand uh, Jehu was in that group. He, Yeah, he, he is himself in, in that Untouchable group. Um, and, you know, it really shaped his, uh, his identity growing up. And, you know, it was really only encountering the gospel uh, that helped him to recover from some of the pain and the trauma of that, uh, of that experience. Um, you know, because he really, uh, he was, he was very affected by the kind of the social ostracism that comes with that. Um, so the, so the Dalits are the lowest caste in the, uh, the Indian caste system. And so it's this whole kind of social layer cake, um, you know, which goes back to these these Hindu texts about who are the most privileged, who are the least privileged mm. in society. So 
um, you know, at the top you have Brahmins and then you kind of go down through and at the very bottom of the list, um, well, actually not even in the, the list of sort of respectable castes, it's sort of like falling off the, the map really are, are the Dalits. And so it's shocking to us today because we feel like, you know, we who live in the kind of liberal West with our enlightenment values and everything, we sort of forget that there are parts of the world where this kind of thing is very much alive and well. Um, and, you know, we we're, we're so steeped in this, you know, the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Mm -hmm. And so in the article, I, I interview Vishal Mangalwadi, who's uh, a, a reformer and uh, thinker here. And he said, you know, this is the single biggest misconception that people in the West have about a country like India is that they, they share this sort of baseline assumption about equality, uh, but they absolutely don't. And that that ancient prejudice is very much uh, in effect there. So the Dalits, the untouchables, how what is life like for, for such a person in India? I mean, and how many are there? So, yeah, what is life like? Um, you know, there, there are certain kind of circles of society that they're excluded from. They, you know, they can't intermarry with people from higher castes. Um, they can't have, you know, ordinary social interaction with people from higher castes. They might be eligible for some government handouts. Mm. And, you know, this was one of the interesting kind of paradoxical things that I discovered as I, I did my research is, you know, there is a sort of a pathway of affirmative action, so to speak, um, for those lower castes that, you know, that they might be able to get a scholarship, they might be able to get um, a housing loan, that kind of thing. But the catch is you have to be uh, part of an approved religion. Um, so, you know, if you're a Hindu, that's okay. If you're a Sikh, that's okay. I think Buddhists might also be allowed. But if you're a Christian, then you can't even access uh, the, the government handouts. So um, this is where my friend Jehu and other friends of his are really in a difficult position is that not only are they uh, Dalits, but they're Christian Dalits. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you thought it couldn't get any lower, that's the one way you can get even lower still is to, is to be a Christian. So you're saying the uh, Dalit or Dalit, when they convert to Christianity is being a Christian, are you saying in India is even a, a lower cultural standing than than an untouchable? Yeah, um, and it, it could even make you an outcast among outcasts because mm. I I actually learned about Dalits, and yeah, I, I was pronouncing it wrong, it should, I should say Dalits. I learned about Dalits who were even rejected by their own communities um, for claiming Christ. So yeah, there's it's it's like the perfect storm of class bigotry and religious bigotry that, that they're suffering from. And yet, interestingly, your your friend or your father's friend, your friend too, Jehu, he does evangelism. This is a whole other part of it, but he he's telling his people about Christ. There is, of course, we know forgiveness and life change, and in a sense, there is a new life. I wonder if you can talk about that. And he even evangelizes in. It's the former Orissa state, I forget what it's called now, but where there's been a, a kind of a history of persecution of Christians. So he's yes. it's remarkable what he's doing. 
Yes. Uh, so he he lives and works in Odisha, uh, which used to be called Orissa. So these names can get a little bit confusing. But so, yeah, I mentioned in the article um, there was a famous martyrdom in Odisha uh, in 1999. Uh, the Australian missionary Graham Staines was uh, was actually burned alive with two of his children. It was a horrible uh, act of mob violence. Um, but what's interesting is that uh, the situation has has actually, if anything, worsened uh, across India because at the time when Staines was murdered, that was um, it was sort of grassroots violence, if you will. It was um, you know the the people were very bigoted, but it wasn't coming from the top down. Um, but now you can look in various states and you can see a sort of systematic top down. Uh, oppression of Christians, and I highlight a few other cases uh, in the article there. Jehu's state, uh, Odisha, is, is actually not the very worst currently. It's, you know, it's it's not great, uh, but it, you know, could, could be worse, could be better. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, other places, it's, uh, it's, it's even worse. So, but yes, Jehu's evangelism is a, is a big part of the work that he does. And he he will evangelize anybody. Uh, you know, he'll he'll walk up to uh, a rich person, a poor person, young and old. It doesn't matter. You know, he he rides around on his motorcycle sharing the gospel. And sometimes he encounters real hostility. And sometimes, even when he encounters somebody who might be curious, you know, there's a risk with them following up with him because of the social prejudice. So somebody might be like, "Sure, I'll exchange." phone numbers, uh, but then they never actually follow up. And, you know, it's probably safe to assume that they're, they're afraid of what family and friends might think if they, if they explored further. Well, my guest today on His People is uh, Dr. Bethel McGrew. We're talking about her world uh, peace, loving the despised India's untouchables find hope and a new identity in Christ. I'm wondering if you can talk about that a little bit, uh, Bethel, that, that new identity where, on the one hand, they're leaving that untouchable status, but they're also going into another status, which is not highly regarded, or at least in, in much of India. And, and what is the challenge there, going from one to the other? Yes, absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the irony is that the, the, the lie that Hindus will spread is that um, Christians are using illicit means of converting the poor mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, maybe they're, they're bribing them with money or something like that. When the situation really is, is the exact opposite that, you know, if, if you become Christian, things are going to become much harder, not, uh, not easier. So, um, you know, one set of villagers uh, who I, I heard about through Jehu's work were, exiled from their village, basically. They, they were cut off from their own farmland. They were farmers, but their land was taken away. Their water sources were taken away. And they were told, you know, if you renounce Christ, we'll, we'll give this all back to you. But as, as long as you claim Christ, then we're going to cut you off. Um, so then I, I helped to uh, organize a campaign to help them to drill a, a bore well. Um, but they, they do at least have a peace and an identity in Christ. And, and Jehu spoke very personally about what that meant for him, that as a young man, he, uh, you know, he struggled with self-esteem, uh, with, with feeling, feeling less than because society told him that he was less than. Um,
but he encountered, you know, some good gospel preaching. He mentioned, um, you know, sermons by people like Tim Keller that he was able to, you know, sort of access. And, you know, it placed him, it, it you know, gave him the proper mentality, like, okay, I am a sinner. Uh, you know, it's not like I'm perfect. I do, I do need to repent before God for the sins that I've committed. Mm-hmm. But then once I've repented, then I am, I am a beloved child of the King. I, I have um, status and standing. I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Um, and I don't need to feel that I'm worthless anymore. Well, tell us about uh, uh, kind of the backdrop of your piece, Loving the Despised India's Untouchables Find Hope in a New Identity in Christ, is uh, the conversation that you had with a, it looks like a class, a group of school children, uh, Dalit school children. Tell, tell us, and, and uh, your friend Jehu uh, is part of that. Yes. Um, so these school children are getting uh, tutoring help um, because the schools that they attend are, you know, if you, if you think about your sort of lowest common denominator public schools, um, you know, that's the level of education they're getting. It's, it's, it's really not individualized or, or helpful for them at all. So uh, what my friend Jehu does, along with some other friends, is, you know, he organizes these kind of morning and evening uh, tutoring sessions for the kids where, um, you know, they look over the kids' homework, they help them out, they give them more homework, and, you know, across all subjects like reading, writing, uh, English, then their own regional language, whatever that is, math. Um, And sometimes this is even the only place where the kids get a good meal um, because these are incredibly impoverished children, you know, often both parents are, are working. And I mean, he, it broke my heart, Jay, who talked about one boy who said that he skips meals at home. Uh, and so, you know, he came that day and he hadn't eaten any breakfast. So, um, you know, this is a, a way not only to offer tutoring assistance, but also to offer a kind of a family uh, to children who are really struggling. And um, I, you know, I was really struck. They they were wearing these beautiful school uniforms. You know, the boys had these white polos and the girls had these lovely blue dresses. And, you know, these were provided through, you know, the, the support that my family and other friends are able to, to give to Jehu. And that just really struck me that, you know, it's like, it's like restoring a little bit of um, dignity back, you know, that they, they may have nothing, um, but they have something beautiful to wear to school, you know. So it sounds like they're, they're, the education, it's Christian-based. Um, right. So, so yeah, Jehu and the other teachers, they offer um, education in, in the Bible along with just regular uh, education. And most, most of the children are, are not Christians. They, they do come from mm-hmm. non-Christian backgrounds. But, you know, the parents are, uh, aren't hostile to that. You know, they're, they're just kind of grateful that the kids are getting help. So the hope is that by exposing them to the Bible, um, you know, gradually their hearts will be prepared for a gospel message. And your conversation with them, uh, of course, on a, on, a, on a video platform, was it Zoom? That's right. Yeah. And by any chance, have you been to India yourself? No. No, I, I haven't. Um, and I mean, I, I'm i sort of cowardly in that sense. You know, I've, I've never put my own boots on the ground in, in India or these other countries. 
um, the the situation is is fairly dicey. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe maybe one day, maybe one day I'll have the the courage to do that. But yeah, for now I'm uh, I'm doing Zoom journalism. It's okay. I, I, I totally understand and relate to that. Well, I wanted to ask you, too, another interesting aspect of all of this is we've talked about the Dalits and the untouchables. and the. I like the way you describe the caste system, sort of like a layer cake of, of different uh, castes and, and their status in that culture. But interestingly, officially, India has freedom of religion. I mean, yes. Can you talk about that and what's how? How is that when we've you've got this? As you said in another part of your piece, that persecution is kind of on the uptick in certain places. Yeah. So the the word officially is doing a lot of work there. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So this is the this is the contrast is that you you know if you read the Constitution of India, it sounds very enlightened and and progressive and and whatever whatever. Um, So there you know. There just is, there just is a, a, a disconnect there, um, and you know there was a different social reformer. I uh, his name is in the article. I, I I don't have it in front of me, but he tried to launch something at you know at the level of the courts, saying, "Well, look, here's Article 15, which says you can't discriminate on the basis of blah blah blah, but here are all these examples of religious discrimination." How is this not blatantly unconstitutional? Um, and then his appeal just sort of sat in legal limbo for a couple decades. Hmm. Uh, they're like, well, we'll appoint a commission to look into this, which is, you know, jargon, bureaucratic stalling. Yep. Nothing happens. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, and and by the way, I didn't really, this wasn't the focus of the article, but um, Muslims also come under a lot of, similar persecution. Mm. So, um, you know, a lot of the kinds of things that, that Christians suffer from, Muslims suffer from too. Now, you know, we're not, we're not typically used to thinking of Muslims as the, as the victims of religious persecution, because certainly in other countries, they're, they're the oppressors. Um, but in this particular context, um, Hinduism is, is the oppressor, and both Islam and Christianity are, are actually uh, both oppressed minorities. Interestingly enough, as we've been talking about, of course, the Dalits, the Untouchables, and and how your friend Jehu is uh, evangelizing them, and how many have come to Christ, apparently, and it does, of course, Jesus changes all of our lives, changes the li- their lives, he has changed his own self-concept of, of how he sees himself, that he is a, a redeemed person, and so forth. And yet, I think in your article you point out that conversion to Christ is not only happening among the uh, the Dalits or the lower caste, it's happening kind of throughout Indian society? Yes, it is. Um, and, you know, you, you can find um, you can find really interesting interviews and videos. I, I mentioned one in particular where there's a whole kind of rally um, and, and a reporter is interviewing people from upper caste, like the Brahmin caste. And there's, there's one woman who's, um, you know, kind of using her voice to speak on behalf of those lower castes um, and saying, you know, it's, it's basically, it's a lie, this, the lie of forced conversion or false conversion. And, you know, she speaks for herself. Nobody, nobody changed me. Jesus Christ changed me. Um, And, you know, this country belongs to Christians as much as anybody else. Um, And I actually have one of my own personal friends 
came from Nepal, um, so so not India strictly, but she mm -hmm. came from a Brahmin home. And uh, when she was a teenager, she had a friend from a lower caste, and that was considered unacceptable. And so her family was like, you know, you have to be ritually purified now that you've had dinner in this friend's home. So then after my friend grew up, she uh, she married an American Anglican, and then they they visited a cathedral in Myanmar, and complete coincidence, total God thing, they realized that they they were sitting behind the family of the girl that she'd known all those years ago. And it was like this amazing moment of, wow, here we are reunited, sitting together uh, with equal standing in the eyes of God as brothers and sisters in Christ. And now there's no more barrier you know, there is neither rich nor poor in, in the kingdom. And it's interesting that uh, India has had quite a history of Western missionaries coming. You think of people like uh, Amy Carmichael or mm -hmm. William Carey, obviously, right. and many more. Obviously, there, there must still be many there, but hasn't the emphasis kind of shifted uh, in recent years, recent decades, to the, the indigenous missionary, like your friend Jehu, that they can obviously speak the same language, they have the same culture. Um, is that is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, it's just become very difficult for Western missionaries to penetrate, really. I mean, um, the Indian government really tries to put up barriers there. Um, you know, I'm sure there are a few brave souls who are still doing that, probably under a, a cover, you know, like, oh, I'm here to do business, mm -hmm. quote unquote, you know. Um, but increasingly, that's the sort of thing that you kind of have to do, you know, kind of roundabout stuff like that. Um, and it has to be sort of kept kept quiet. So, you know, it, a lot really does increasingly now depend on those local people, the, those indigenous people like Jehu. Um, so, but what's cool is Jehu, in a sense, I mean, he's, I think, I forget what generation, it's either third or fourth generation Christian. Mm. Um, wow. And yeah, right. And so his actually his great great grandfather was also uh, a, min a Christian minister and preacher in his area. So Jehu is sort of proudly carrying on a family legacy. And the you know, his family's Christianity ultimately goes back to those Western missionaries, you know, people like the, the names that you listed, who came all those many, many years ago and brought the gospel. So, uh, you know, what you see in Jehu is sort of the, the ongoing living fruit of that labor. So, Bethel, by bringing this to our attention, um, perhaps this thinking about the Dalits, the untouchables, is new to some people hearing this. You've focused particularly upon the school children, and, and you could kind of tell by what you wrote that it was certainly touching you. How do you hope uh, people that read this, uh, what kind of message do you hope comes through that you want to make sure people don't don't miss just not to forget these people um because it it, it is easy to to forget and you know I, I don't mean to minimize or downplay the you know the particular issues that american christians mm -hmm. might face you know i, I think everybody in, in their different circumstance faces different uh different issues but um you know we really should be aware of what our brothers and sisters around the world are facing. And, um, you know, I think we should, we should try as much as possible, as much as we're able to think about how we could 
how we could help them, how we could support them. Um, and, you know, I think it's, it's also a, it's inspiring to, to, to see the resilience and, um, and the hope that these people have and what they're able to do with nothing. I mean, one of Jehu's friends, um, who's a pastor has converted nearly his whole village, mm. uh, to Christ. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it makes you think, wow, look at what these people are able to do with so little, uh, it, it should inspire us to do more with what we have. Well, the piece is Loving the Despised, India's Untouchables Find Hope and a New Identity in Christ. Uh, my guest is the author of the article, Dr. Bethel McGrew. You can read it at wng.org. And I did want to ask you, uh, Bethel, in the uh, couple of minutes, few minutes we have left here, uh, what, what's one thing that's particularly interesting uh, about you is you write for World, you write for First Things, National Review, The Spectator, and other publications. You're, you're obviously a writer, but you have a PhD in math. Tell us how that, how that works, how that happened. Well, um, I didn't always think that I was going to be a, a professional writer, actually. Um, you know, I, I grew up in an academic home. Uh, both of my parents are, are scholars. So um, initially, I thought that my path would kind of lie through the university. And so, um, you know, I kind of wanted to pick something to specialize in that would be sort of free of um, political corruption, uh, where, you know, I, I could really just sort of do good work in peace. So, um, you know, I, I kind of pursued mathematics because that seemed like sort of the, the purest discipline. Mm -hmm. um, but then, you know, I actually discovered that um, I didn't have the kind of passion for math that it, it really takes to to flourish um, and and carve out a successful career there. And really my passion lay in writing. And that created tension at first. I even wrote under a pen name for a while because I was trying to kind of compartmentalize myself professionally. But, um, you know, as my writing kind of took off and more and more people seemed to benefit from it, I came to decide, you know what, I'm just going to kind of integrate and, and be myself and write under my own name um, and see where that goes. And, uh, and remarkably, I've actually found that I can um, carve out a little living for myself doing that, so, so far at least. Um, so, you know, God has a sense of humor, and he's definitely taken me on uh, a, a winding road, and I'm excited to see where he takes me next. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Bethel McGrew, author of the world cover story, Lifting Up the Lowly. You can read it by going to wng.org. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Catherine Butler with a Christian Physician's Review of very popular book, Outlive, The Science and Art of Longevity. So anybody reading this book, I would just be very cautious. If you come to any recommendations that are outside of practice and outside of what your own doctor recommends. That's tomorrow at the same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.